Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 17. There's times in which, as a pastor, um, we're called to be with people um, in the final hours of their lives, the final days of their lives, ministering to them, ministering to the family. And one of the things, as I go and, and am at the bedside of somebody who you know is, is near the end, I think through what what passage of scripture might I read to them, um, and in John seventeen we have the high priestly prayer, Christ's prayer to the Father, right before he goes to the cross. There's a famous theologian by the name of John Knox out of out of Scotland. He lived there in the 1500s, served, and was used just in incredible ways during the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. Um, masses of people coming to know Christ, and seminaries built up, Bible colleges built up, people being encouraged to study God's Word and to search the Scriptures. On John Knox's um, deathbed, he had friends family, um, Scottish nobility that, that would come to, to, to minister to him. There with him as he laid there in a bed, unable to read anymore, unable to, to, to move, just bound to a bed. And as he was there, what he asked them was to read daily to him. Specifically, John 17. He just asked them, will you read that to me? Over and over and over and over again. That's the passage that I want to hear. John 17. Here's a man who knows all of Scripture. I mean, he's studied, has written volumes and volumes upon different passages of, of, of Scripture. But when he laid there, on his deathbed, he said, John 17, can you read that to me over and over and over and over again? We'll see this morning, and as we continue to study through this particular chapter, the reasons why that would be a passage in which he would call upon his friends and the nobles and the church members to come and say, would you please read this to me over and over again? Last week we began by looking at the first five verses, and this morning we'll look at the next seven verses through verse 12. But in in light of that, let's begin from verse 1, remembering that Christ is just about to be betrayed and to go to the cross, and he prays, and this is his prayer. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then our text for this morning. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I know that it's possible for us to to be in a place of of thinking so little of ourselves. We talk about self-esteem and the desire amongst the world to to have a high self-esteem, but so often it's manufactured in people saying like, oh, you're so good at this, or you're so good at that, or you're the most wonderful person here, or you've done this, and you've, you know, and they just try to build you up based on what it is that you have done. Um, And if we're honest about it, we, we come to a place like the Apostle Paul of saying, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm I don't have anything to offer God. I mean, if you want to talk about how great I am, I know the depths of my sin. I know what's inside my heart. I know how wicked I can be, and there's nothing in me to esteem myself with. But what a radical thing it is to look into God's word and to say to see how he describes you. Now, granted, throughout Scripture, you'll find him saying, you know, that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. You know, the inclinations of their heart is only evil continually. And he goes through and just makes it very clear as far as our sinful nature and who we are and our depravity. However, in this prayer, you see Jesus praying that he's glorified and that the Father is glorified. And he goes from there to describing his followers. In this prayer, as he's there going to the cross, about ready to go to the cross, he begins to pray and just describe, to describe his followers, his disciples, those that are coming after him, those who believe in him, and he just begins to describe them. And that's what we'll look at this morning. He describes them first in verse 6 by saying, 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So to begin with, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Manifesting your name. I've done this, Christ has said. I've taken those that you've given me and I've manifested your name to them. This is a fulfillment of what you find in Psalm 22 where we're told that it's a messianic psalm where Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. I will declare your name, he says to the Father. If you remember, just before that, him saying that, he, he says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And so he's clearly describing the crucifixion and what's going to take place in the crucifixion hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the crucifixion took place. But here in verse 22, he says, and I'll declare your name to my brethren. I'll declare your name to them. And so here in his prayer, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. A fulfillment of that. Jesus has manifested the Father's character, his loving heart, his amazing grace, and all of his perfect attributes of the Father to the disciples. I've manifested who you are, Father, to them. Your name. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. They have seen you, Father. Then he refers to them as whom you've given me out of the world. The disciples, all who followed Christ, including every Christian who's here this morning, we were given to Christ from the Father. And you're going to find this throughout this entire text this morning. Over and over again, what's emphasized is you gave them to me. You gave them to me. When we think about us as believers, as followers of Christ, what a radical way to think about ourselves. Jesus saying, you, Father, you gave them to me. You took them out of the world and you gave them to me. They were yours. You gave them to me. Before even the foundations of this world, given to the Son, God the Father gave to you, gave you to God the Son. I I frequently think about what a blessing my wife is to me. Um, given to me. An incredible act of grace on behalf of the Lord. You know, you, you think about, at least I did, I mean, from being a little guy, I would think, I wonder who I'm going to marry someday. And I was, I was the kind of kid that, like, even, like, as a little kid, like, I, I think this might be the one. <laughs> I know, like, I'm in fourth grade, but... I think this is the one, you know? And, and that was just the way my brain worked. Um, cranking through college just so I could get married. I want to meet the one, whoever it is that is the one that God's calling me to marry. And I didn't get married until I was almost 33. So the one, yeah, easy. <laughs> Yeah, I had to wait for her to graduate high school. That was why I had to 
No, that's just kidding. Graduate college. Okay, so that, that. But just waiting for her. Like, when is God going to bring the one that I'm supposed to marry, this precious gift that I'm supposed to, to be with? And um, I, I remember my, my mom sometimes would say, like, Kevin, there's no one perfect. How about this girl or how about that one? Like, there's no one perfect. And I, I remember just thinking, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to like, well, okay, well, not that bad, you know. Like, I, I want, like, fireworks. I want it to be where I know, like, this is the person that God would have for me. And in his perfect timing, he brought me my bride. Just an incredible gift from the Lord. This two weeks from now will be our 11th anniversary. And it's been just 11 amazing years. At least it's been amazing for me. I don't know about for her, but, but a gift. And then you, you start thinking about your kids. We have Jonathan, we have Natalie, we have little Andrew. Jonathan, eight. Natalie, five. Andrew, one. And, and you, you look at your children and you think, well, what precious gifts from the Lord. The name Jonathan and the name Natalie are both derived from the meaning of gift from God. We, we thought about it as we named them as far as they are precious gifts that the Lord has given us. And we love them. Andrew, his name means manly because we knew that he would more than likely take after his dad. And so we, we just <laughs> gave him that name, manly. Um, but they're precious gifts from the Lord. We look at them and just think, like, God is so, he is so good to, to just give us these, these children to, to minister to. And, and, and knowing that he knew exactly who he would give to us as children and when that would occur. We love them. And you hear the heart of the Lord here. Referring to us as his children, referring to us as his people, and just saying, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. You gave them to me. You did this. You gave them to me. God the Father, with incredible power, perfect knowledge, Absolute sovereignty is the one doing the giving. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. All, all that the Father gives us, all Christ says that the Father has given me will come to me. In John six thirty nine, it says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. You find that throughout Scripture over and over again, and specifically John referring to to Christ saying these things, given to the Son by the Father. So he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. We came out of the world. We are now... Those who were not his people have been now made his people. We belong to him. We've been made his bride. 
We once were going away from him, running away from him, and yet he has taken us out of the world and made us his own people and brought us into his kingdom. They were yours, Jesus says. You gave them to me. They were yours. You gave them to me. Describing us as his people. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. That part is important there. It's describing us. They were yours. You gave them to me. And what? And they have kept your word. A mark of of, of being a Christian. A mark of being a follower of Christ. A mark of being those who were given to the Son by the Father. A mark of being Christians is that we keep his word. We can't be in a place of saying, well, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. And have no desire to keep the word of God. Part of being a Christian is being under his lordship. It's part of being a Christian. We follow him. We desire to please him. We desire to honor him. And so as he's describing his followers, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. I mean, remember when he's writing this, or praying this, he's praying this and they're all about ready to be scattered, right? He's praying this and, and Peter's going to deny him three times. He's praying this and, and, and we can go through the, the Gospels and see Failure after failure after failure after failure of the disciples where you come to a place of just like, are you kidding? Like, I mean, like, why is your faith so small? Look at all that he has done. And yet Jesus, as he is describing them, they have kept your word. He doesn't look at all their failures. He's looking at them saying, they were yours. You gave them to me and they've kept your word. They're following me. Now, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. They know this. As I describe my followers, Christ says, now they have known that all things which you, Father, have given to me are from you. That's how he describes them. Now, now know this as we're reading this prayer. Jesus is not informing the father of any of this. It's not like Jesus is saying, like, well, I gotta present my case. I mean, they look horrible, but let me just try to soften this whole thing up a little bit. Rather, Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and he is just delighting in his people. Just delighting in them as the father is also delighting in his followers. And so he says, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. They know of my deity. They know that the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm doing are coming from you. They still need to be sanctified. They still need to be changed. But yet, they know that I and the things that I do have come from you, Father. In verse 8, For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them. And they have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. 
gives more details to verse 7. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And you think of all that Jesus taught to the disciples. I gave them your words. I told them the things that you have said. I have manifested your name to them. I have described yourself to them. I have taught them all that they need to know at this particular point. I have made your words known to them. I've given to them the words which you've given to me. The things that were determined that would be recorded in the pages of scriptures. I've given them to the disciples. And they've received them. They've heard them. They've taken them in. This describes the believer. God's word goes forward, doesn't it? We hear God's word. And we receive God's word. Think of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and, and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, his word just goes right into our hearts. And it did for us, didn't it? It did for the disciples. We think on this side of the cross and us as followers of, of, of Christ and, and we, we know from Scripture that Jesus is God. We know from Scripture that God the Father gave us God the Son. We know from Scripture that he died on the cross. We know from Scripture that he was buried. We know from Scripture that he rose again from the dead. We know from Scripture that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We have received his words. And how, how precious are his words. How precious are his words. This morning, it started last night, but Jonathan, my eight-year-old, is saying, he saw, he saw a pocket knife that I had and said, I, I want a pocket knife. All I could think about is a pocket knife. I just want a pocket knife. And, and so I'm like, Jonathan, thou shalt not covet thy father's pocket knife. <laughs> and so th- that has been said over and over again since last night. Thou shalt not covet thy father's pocket knife. And he just looks at it. I want a pocket knife. I want one. I want one so badly. I want one. And so like, I just thought like, okay, well... You have to earn it. And I told him, like, you know, it's probably not safe. I do things that are irresponsible all the time, giving you stuff you should never have because you're eight. You're probably going to hurt yourself. I'm probably going to have to take you to the ER. But I will give you the opportunity to earn it. And so I took him to an app that is on my phone and said, okay, here is 52 sections of verses. Not verses, but like sections of verses. And when you memorize all 52, I'll get you a pocket knife. Some of you think child abuse. Others of you think brilliant. I look at it as brilliant. I mean, he, he, he I, okay, I, I'll, do, I'll do it. He goes to, you know, takes my phone and goes out of the hallway and is there and, and memorizes three verses out of Deuteronomy that he had never known before. And he comes back like eight minutes later. Okay, I got one of them. Quotes it word for word. I'm like... Man, you're going to do this faster. I mean, I thought it would take you years, Jonathan. You're going to do this faster than I anticipated. He's like, I'm memorizing these. I'm memorizing them so fast. And the reason why is because all I was thinking as, as, as I was listening to him say these verses is, oh, I just want the word of God sown in his heart. I want it to be where these verses come to his mind 40, 
50, 60 years from now. They're just there and they're planted. And he thinks it's for a pocket knife, but it is for God's glory and for his soul and for the Holy Spirit just to work mightily in his life. Natalie came bawling. I didn't get a chance to memorize verses and I can't even read and I want a pocket knife. I just want a pocket knife. So I said, sweetheart, on the same app, you can listen to the verse and then memorize it. And you can get your own pocket knife so we could go to the ER with you again. But to have God's word in our hearts, the preciousness of God's word, I've given to them the words which you've given to me. I've given them to them. And they've received them. It's not just hearing the words. It's not just memorizing the words. But it's receiving the words. It's having the words affect us. It's having the words bring life to us. As we hear the gospel through the word of God. And how it changes us radically. So they've received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you. They know without a doubt that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Not only do they have my words, but they know that I've come from you. And not only do they know, not only is it a head knowledge, but they believe that you sent me. They believe it. And that would represent every believer here this morning. God's word came to you. God's word pierced your heart. God's word affected you to where you know him to be your savior. Not only do you know him to be your savior, but you believe that the father sent him. There's faith. Peter thought the same way where he says that he's been born again. 1 Peter 1.23 Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. We were born again as the incorruptible word of God lives, abides forever. Romans 10, 17 tells us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it affects us and we believe. And so Jesus says in verse nine, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, the, the, the important part in this, I mean, I think all of it is important, but here in the heart of our Savior, I pray for them. Not only do I pray for them, but I don't pray for the world. I'm, I'm not praying for all of them. Not that it's bad to pray for the lost, not that it's bad to pray for the world, but he is specifically speaking with the Father and saying, they are special to me. The ones that you have given to me, they are precious to me. I'm praying specifically right now for them. I'm praying for the ones that were yours, that you gave to me. The ones that have kept your word. The ones that have heard your word and have received your word and have believed that you sent me. I'm praying specifically for them. I'm praying for them. For they are yours. The reason why I'm praying for them is because they belong to you. 
The fact that they belong to you makes them precious unto me. The fact that you've given them to me, Christ says, makes them precious to me. To put ourselves in that category as believers. Here in the heart of our Savior saying, I've revealed myself to them. They were yours. You gave them to me. We belong to him. I'll pray for them because they're yours. They're special. It ought to affect our own prayer lives, right? I mean, to be at a place of, okay, we're a church. We are the body of Christ. I will pray for you. Why? Because you belong to him. Because you're, you belong to the Father, and the Father has given you to the Son, and that makes you precious. I mean, if there's anything that makes you precious is that you belong to our God. You belong to him. From eternity past, you belong to the Father, and he's given you to the Son, and you believe in him. And because of that, I'm praying, for they are yours, Jesus says. There is something special about believers, and it's not all that we have done. It is who it is that we belong to. Who it is who has purchased us. From there he continues in saying, going from, and they, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. You hear the heart of it? They're yours, and all mine are yours, and all yours are mine. We just belong to him. Can you just hear the intimacy of our Savior? Can you hear in the way in which he prays for us? The way in which he thinks of his disciples, the way he thinks about those who are following him? They are yours and yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. There is this unity in the Trinity in which we exist and these people belong to us. They belong to us. You have the picture of of marriage and the bridegroom or the husband, the groom, and the bride. And that picture is not just so that we know what marriage is supposed to look like here on earth, but it is to be a picture of what it is that Christ has done for us. Christ is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. He's prepared for himself a glorious bride, and it's referring to the church. It's made for himself, his own special people, this bride, this kingdom, a bride that comes adorned for her husband, this bride that he has made. And so he refers to us as that, and, and, and you, you, you get the idea of that there will come a day where I will give my little bride, my little, not my bride, I won't, I'm going to give my bride away. There's a time where I'm going to give my little girl, who will be the bride, away. And I'll walk down probably this aisle or come down the aisle and somebody will be up here and say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Hopefully I'll be enthusiastic about it. Probably be one of your kids. And, and, and at that point, I'll say, her mother and I do. Now I'm giving her to whoever this young man is. I'm the father. I'm giving her to the young man. 
He is receiving her, but you know what? She's still mine. She's still mine. She's always going to be my little girl. No matter what, right, dads that have given your daughters away? They're still your little girl. They're still precious to you. You still care about them. You still think about them all the time. And we do that, don't we? And you hear that with the Father. They are yours. You gave them to me, but they're all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And you get this idea of, of these are our people. The affection of the Father and the Son towards us. And then he says, and I am glorified in them. I'm glorified by them. I'm exalted by them. He's describing us as people and just says, they belong to you and they've given, been given to me, but I'm glorified by them. I'm glorified in the fact that these are sinners unable to do anything to earn favor with us, and yet I'm going to wash their sins away and I'm going to give them my righteousness. These ones that were there in the woman at the well, one in whom She's been married over and over and over and over again, and the person that she's with now is not her husband. And yet, he is glorified by saving her. He is glorified by saving you. You who had no ability to earn favor with God, he has made you righteous, and he has taken away your sins, and he's made you his bride, and you belong to him, and you get to spend eternity with him. He is glorified by you. He's glorified by you when you desire to just live for him and give yourself entirely to him. When you see his worth and you say, he is more precious than anything that this world could ever offer, and I will go to Utah, or I will go to this other place. I will go wherever you call me to go. I will live in a way that just honors you here in South Orange County. I will do things unto you, not because this person's worthy of it, but because it's unto you that I'm doing this. Unto you, I will live this way. Unto you, I will do these things because you're worth everything to me. He's glorified by us. When we see him, just find him to be praiseworthy. He's glorified by us. He's glorified by us when we go and we proclaim the gospel and we tell others about him, about his worth, about who our Savior is, about what it is that he has done for us. He is glorified by us, his people. And so he's referring to his followers and he says, I am glorified in them. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, he is glorified by you. He is glorified. Verse 11. Now I'm no longer in the world. But these are in the world. Jesus is about ready to leave. But the disciples, his followers, will stay behind. He says, and I will come to you. Now we find a petition. He's described who we are. He's described who his followers are. Now he says, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Keep them keep them. It's no wonder that John Knox wanted this read. I belong to the Father and he's given me to the Son. I've received his word. I've kept his word. I've believed upon him. I belong to him. And not only that, but he is going to keep me. Christ prayed that the Father would keep John Knox to the very end. Christ prayed 
that the Father would keep you and I to the very end. I pray for them. Father, I pray for them. Holy Father, keep them. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. May there just be this unity between the people and that they are our people, they are our bride, and may they be one as you and I are one because each and every one of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been saved, we've been transformed, we've been made new creations in Christ. Our sins which once covered us are removed from us and we have robes of righteousness that have been given to us. And so Jesus is describing it and he's just saying like you, all of you, be one. May they be one. May they be united. May they be together. May they see the unity that they have, not because of, of what political party they are a part of or how smart they are or how much they make or where they live or any of these things, but because God the Father and God the Son are one, may they be one together. A unity that should be there for us as the body of Christ. In verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I kept, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of all that you've given me, I've kept them. I've kept them. Those whom you gave me, I've kept. And none of them is lost. Not one of them, except Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I mean, lest any of these people go back and say, well, he said that, but then what about Judas? Jesus is saying, I didn't lose any of them except for the one that was prophesied would leave. The one that we knew would leave. The one that was recorded in scripture in the Old Testament, that there would be one that would be the traitor. The one that would leave. Scripture was fulfilled in him leaving. We talked about the 30 pieces of silver. We thought, talked about what it would purchase. We talked about all of that in the Old Testament so that they would know there is one that is going to depart, but the rest I've kept. Well, if I'm on my deathbed, I want to know that he keeps me to the end. I want to know that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. I want to know that he's the author and he's the finisher of my faith. I want to know that he holds me in his hand and the Father who's greater than all holds me in his hand and there's no one that can snatch me away. I want to know that he's given me everlasting life. I want to know that, that I get to enter into the joy of the Lord. I want to know that, that he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll go after me, leave the 99 and go after me to bring me back unto him. He will keep me to the end. I want to know that he has sealed me with his Holy Spirit so that there is no possibility of me ever departing from him. Even me being prone to wander, I want to know that he will go and get me. And he does. When he's praying to the Father, he's saying, I've lost none of them. I've kept them. By my power, I have kept them to the end. No wonder 
back nearly 500 years ago. John knocks on his deathbed saying, can you just read that to me? Can you read it to me over and over and over again? I belong to him. I belong to the Father, and he gave me to the Son. And he's going to keep me to the very end. It's getting harder and harder to breathe. I feel the pain getting greater and greater. Can you read it to me again? Sweetheart, can you read to me John 17 again? Guys, John 17, you guys keep talking. You don't even know what to talk about. Can you just read John 17 again? John 17. Just read John 17 to me. I just want to hear it again. Because they are some of the greatest words of comfort. You belong to him. He purchased you. And he will keep you to the very end. (laughs) This particular prayer, what a description Jesus gives of his people. And what it is that he has done for us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord Jesus, may it um, bring comfort to us on this day. A Savior who prays for us. But to hear his description of us, to hear your description of us, Lord, your grace is unfathomable. Your mercy is so great. Your love for us, unconditional. To make for yourself a people and to bless us. Having your word be proclaimed and through faith in you, knowing that we will spend eternity with you. What a blessed assurance that is for us on this morning. If any one of us came in just not thinking much of ourselves this morning. May we leave here just finding our worth. Not in our achievements, but in your achievements, in our God and who we belong to. It may just give us great joy. Be glorified now through the praises of your people, we pray in Jesus' name.